Hey, welcome to the 67th episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is a brand new song from MC White Owl, Football for a Buck, in conjunction with my new book of the same name. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genres I'm thinking of. And today, we're going super duper extra funky weird. The guest is Ellie Douglas, a New Zealand-based horror writer whose books include Hounded, Hounded 2, Dead Undone, Dead Wake, Death O' Death, Toxic Desire, and she also does coloring books. That's actually true. She actually does coloring books. So, I mean, let's bash in some heads. Let's drain some blood. Let's bite some motherfucking necks. Right now, on Two Writers, Slinging Yang. All right, well, Ellie, first of all, uh, thank you so much for doing this. And I have to say, I've done, I think you're the 65th episode of this podcast, and you are by far the most unusual writing-wise. I've had a lot of sports writers. I've heard a lot, had a lot of news writers. I've had some novelists. You're the first horror writer I've had. And I, I'm sort of wondering, is, is there a community of horror writers? Is this a thing where there's a tight-knit bond among horror writers? Or, or are you one of few? Um... I would say I'm one of few, really. I don't know of such communities. I mean, they're out there, but I don't know many of them. So how did you, how yeah. did this even happen? Like, why did why? Uh, I mean, I know your background a little bit. Um, I know you were a designer. How did this even happen? What, what what was the spark that made you say I'm going to write about horror? I guess this just comes from the love of horror and wanting to read and also see a lot more gore than what there is. Okay, first of all, what was it yeah. about your childhood or what was it growing up that, that gave you sort of the love of horror as a genre? Oh, gosh. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was subjected to all of the, in my opinion, the pretty cool horror movies such as Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. That really got me going. I really wanted to be like that. As you, far as writing goes, yeah, I was gonna say you didn't want to. You don't want to be a deranged killer. <laughs> no, I don't want to be pretty. Yeah. No, I don't want to be a deranged killer. No. <laughs> right. What about it speaks to you? Like, what about it is it that does it for you? I've actually asked myself that question quite a lot, and I love scaring people. I guess that would probably come down to it, make them horrified. It's frightening. You know? Do you like being so, scared? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to be the one that scares people. So were you like the kid who would sneak up behind people in a, uh, you know, in a goblin yes. mask? You were. I can tell you a story if you want to hear Please, it. Please, go crazy. Um, if we'd just finished watching Friday the 13th, I probably would have been about 11. So, yeah, pretty young. And my brothers and I decided that we would scare our mother. So we took one of my dolls, cut its head off, put it in the fridge with a screwdriver through its skull. Oh, my God. And, and tomato sauce all over it. <laughs> yeah, so it started pretty young. And what was your mom's reaction? Uh, she kind of freaked out, had a little bit of a scream, and then we all got in trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. So, was, wait, I don't know, in New Zealand, Halloween, how big of a thing? It's not. It's, oh. it, it's so sad. I mean, the best place to be for Halloween is obviously in the States, but... Uh, haven't been there yet as far as Halloween. <laughs> oh, um, I really, really want to. So one day I'll get there. Man, you would really like... All right, so you would like two things about my house. Number one, we have we decided we wanted to buy the scariest costume we could find just, yeah. to, just to freak people out when they come and visit us. So we decided, me and my two kids, we decided upon a giant Elmo costume. 
and we, <laughs> and we come up behind people with like a knife in the Elmo costume and we get people uh-huh. along, which is great. And then yeah. number two is every Halloween, we actually do the haunted house at the elementary school. And um, the first year we did it, principal of the school said, well, just remember, don't make it too scary. And then she said the best thing ever. Her next sentence was, now I'm going to be in Chicago for Halloween, so I'm not going to be here. And I was like, great. And we had so many kids cry in that haunted house. It was like the, the best thing ever. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It yeah, was so cool. So um, your first novel, correct me if I'm wrong, was called was called Zombie Dogs, correct? Uh, it's actually called Hounded. Originally, it was going to be called Zombie Dogs, but the name sucked, so I changed it to Hounded. Okay. All right, so your first yep. your first novel was, was Hounded. And I have the description here. I got it from Amazon. I just want to read it real quick. You wrote, With their future uncertain, filled with raging, hungry, vicious zombie dogs, comes a new unimaginable threat. The infected SB16 coma patients are now becoming vile, insatiable, and monstrous human zombies. Zombie dogs banding together with the human zombies form an army of virtually indestructible creatures that are bent on devouring everything in their path. The world's infrastructure, from government, security, and even the ability to sustain proper food supplies is being destroyed. Everything the Foster brothers have ever known is gone. Bellamy Foster leads his group of survivors on a perilous journey. Not only must he find a sanctuary for all of them, but he is on a quest to find his twin brother Calloway. In this new world of dangers, being forced to find new locations where they can survive, death follows them around every corner. Will they find a new sanctuary in time? All right. I am fascinated, soup to nuts. Well, how did how that even pop into your into your strange head? Two things. One, when I was younger, I got attacked by a couple of dogs, and that always stuck with me. And the second thing is, zombies is being done to death. You know, it's like one of those. I don't know. It's awesome, but it's also been really well and truly done. And I thought I needed it. It needs a new twist. So I came up with zombie dogs. My fear of dogs turned into zombies. That's so funny. Wait, so what happened when you were a kid? Oh, I was attacked, uh, I don't know, I was about seven years old, and a couple of bull mastiffs pushed me over, gnawed on my back, and <laughs> basically tore my top off and started having a good old munch on my skin. Wow, so you actually were attacked by zombie dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so you, you take this idea... You combine mm-hmm. zombies, you combine dogs, you make these yep. zombie dogs. Like, how do you, as a writer, then develop the story? How do you flesh it out? Um, how do you develop characters? Like, how do you go about it? What is your process? I don't actually have a process as such. I write and then I just go back and rewrite. So I don't have a plan of a. You know how some writers write things out? You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just go for it, and then the story just forms itself. So you don't have any outline whatsoever? Nope. <laughs> you don't have any plan? You don't think, nope. like, what are the characters going to do? Nope. You Nothing. just sit down and write? Yep. It just spills out. It just all came out. Like, how long does it take you to write? How long did that take you to write? Just an example. Four months? Five Four. months? I mean, are you just, like, literally, you're, all right, so you write 2,000 words one day. Then do you just not think of it again and then sit down the next day and write again? Or are you... Are you? No. No, I can write up to 17,000 words in a day. Holy shit. Are you kidding? Yeah. No, I'm serious. <laughs> 17,000 words in a day. Yeah. I'm pretty fast. And when my mind's thinking, it doesn't stop. It just goes. I didn't even get writer's block. It just all spilled out. Wait, so how many words was the book, that first book? Oh, God. It was over 300K. Wow. All right, so it was a 300,000-word book. 
You yeah. can write 17,000 words in a day. How do you know the story is going somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, how do you not make it just plotting? How do you keep the action going? Like, how do you make sure it's not just, you know, shit? Because I make sure that I have really good characters to base it off of as well, which is already in my head. And then from there, they create more characters and the story just keeps unfolding. It's like layers and layers, just, I don't know, <laughs> call it Shrek. I don't right. know. <laughs> Well how, well, how do you develop, how do you get an idea for the character? Just an example, Bellamy Foster. Where do you get the idea for Bellamy and Calloway Foster? Um, I have twins, so I decided that I would write about twins. So I guess that's where they formed. And I watch a lot of movies, and I just conjure up what I would like to see as a character and make it as more realistic and not so modelish. You know how a lot of characters are all beefy and a hundred feet tall and... <laughs> You know, I wanted yeah, them more real, just really, really realistic. So I really concentrated on all of them. There's quite a few characters in that book. In fact, I had to downsize the characters because it got too many. So you're just looking for relatable. You're trying to make these people as relatable as possible. Is that absolutely? Sort of... Yeah. It's interesting. I once read a quote. There was a. I, I, I wish I could remember who said it, but it was some writer, and he was giving advice to, to another writer, and he said. Every now and then, you should have your villain bend down to, and smell a flower, right? Mm. You want to make your characters complex. Like, you don't, you don't just want to make them one-dimensional. The bad guy is brooding and the good guy is mm. heroic. Um, do you do that? And is it, is it... Yes, they all have to have a certain amount of depth. You've got to bond with both the protagonist and the antagonist in some way. So how do you do it? I know what I want when I'm writing. So, like, for example, the Fosters, they have two children mm -hmm. without without making too much of a spoiler. One of them dies. Okay. And I got a lot of flack from that, how could you kill off a child? Well, it's just like, well, it's reality. It's what happens in the real world. Because yeah. it is, um, I, I was reading your stuff, and it is very, very raw, which is, mm -hmm. you know, obviously in your genre, that's a compliment. And it's very like, someone might get raped, someone might get killed, I and mean, you are going to get killed, they're going to get eaten. They're going to have yeah. their heads bashed in. They're going to... Is there anything that could possibly cross a line? Is there anything you would not write about? Hmm. Yeah, killing off little babies. <laughs> so you wouldn't do that? Yeah, I don't think so. Right. I, I also wouldn't do um, sex with children or anything like that. That sort of... No, that crosses the line. Right. But there's a passage here that I found from your anthology. He slammed right into Zed and Cat. This is from Flesh Eaters, I believe. Forcing her so hard into the tree that the back of her skull caved in. Cat's eyes rolled up and backwards before popping forwards like a loose spring. Zed couldn't move. He was pinned down with Bruce's bulk. Bruce used his powerful arms and tore Cat's head off in a swift move. <laughs> as soon as he had decapitated her, he sat on the ground and began sucking her brain through the large gaping hole that he'd made with his ta uh, talons. Zed wasted no time and feasted on Cat's jumbo 398 pound body. He started with her enormous breasts, ripping into them and shredding them like buckwheat. I mean, I mean seriously, like, I, I know you're just gonna say it just comes to me like, where does this shit come from? I, and I, sh I say again, shit is a comment. Like, you could give me five years and none of that's entering my head. Nothing that I just read is entering my brain. So like, what is going on in your head? <laughs> I can assure you, I'm really not a psychopath. Um, <laughs> I would probably say a lot of it's come down to what I have read then with the extension of what I wanted to read. Does that make sense? So if I've read a horror book, for example, 
and I'm not finding it gory enough or more descriptive, I will add my take to it. And also I've been exposed to so many horrors. It's just ridiculous. How do you make sure you're not copying someone else? Or is imitation just a form of flattery and that's okay to a certain degree? Because I know that I'm very unique and that I don't think anyone's going to be anywhere near close to what I am. You know, one thing I was thinking when I was reading is, is, I don't know if it's different than movies. Like, um, my daughter is 15 Mm. and two of her favorite movies recently were Get Out and Silence of the Lambs. You saw both of those? Yes. Okay. I thought Get Out was excellent. I think Silence of the Lambs is one of the great movies of the last, whatever, 50 years. Yes. And kind of what's, what's really chilling and scary about it is you don't really see that much. Just as an example, the scenes when Hannibal Lecter is killing the prison guards, just as an example, mm-hmm. you see him swinging a club and you see some blood splattering. You never actually see the guy's head getting bashed in. The scene in the ambulance where the guy's wearing the other, the police officer's face, you never see him cut the face off. You just no. see it. Anticipation seems more powerful in a lot of ways in this genre than blood and guts. Is it the same with writing or do you see it differently? No, no, it's exactly the same. You want to hold that imagination for the reader so that they can imagine and be totally terrified of how it actually happened and why. They can form their own opinion as well. So how do you do that? You know, how do you build suspense when you're writing? How do you build up and when do you know when to stop building and to sort of pop into it? I guess the easiest way is have you yourself been scared? Sure. Okay. Think back to the moment that you were being absolutely, you know, terrified. Not just a jump scare. I don't mean a startle. I mean an actual terrifying moment where you felt deep inside of you this this creeping feeling and you wanted to scream. Have you ever felt that? Sure, of course. Okay. That's how I do my writing. I think to those moments. So give me a moment. What would be an example of a moment that you think of? Like I was thinking when you said that, I was thinking about being on a really terrifying flight and all you want to do is get off that plane. Yeah. The plane's going to crash and you're going to end up into a bunch of smithereens. Yeah. Something like that. So I just take from what my brain is giving me and I completely change it into something that I hope will scare people. What's actually hard is trying to describe how I do it. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is the damn easy part. But it is. Trying to explain to someone how is it's more difficult than you actually think. That's funny. Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlin, and I'm here with my friend Copal, who, and I'm being sincere when I say this, never tells a lie. So, Copal, why are you so excited for my upcoming USFL book? I'm not. Wait, what? I don't even know what the USFL is. Will you buy a copy? No. Mm, Do you like 503 Sports' merchandise? What is that? That's what this ad is for. Honestly, I'm just here for the free pony. There's no free pony. This sucks. Hmm, that didn't go very well. But that's okay, because 503 Sports is all about throwback. We're talking USFL, World Football League, XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State. Or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Scott McGee Houston Gamblers jersey, well, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like me. Go to 503-sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. Will you talk to your husband? Will you be like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And he'll be like, that's stupid or that's great or how does that work? Yeah, he does. And he'll turn around and he'll say things like, God, you know, I love you, but you're fucked up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we I bounce ideas off of him and he might give me something and then I just go away and work on it. Or he'll say, no, that's, that's not good. And then he'll aid in that 
and then I can do a lot of research as well, which I do rely on. Oh yeah, that's a good, I was gonna ask you that. For example, do you need to look up and try to figure out literally what would happen if someone got slammed in the back of a head with a wrench? Like, is there more than just yes. making it up? Do you, do you figure it out? No, I do complete and 100% research on every little aspect because you've got to know facts. And if your facts are wrong, then you kind of screw yourself. All right, so give me an example. What's something you looked up, How uh, something related to heart? Okay, in my Fear Inducer book, for example, which is about a psychiatrist who can cure you of phobias, but he chooses not to, what he does instead is he makes he gives you a drug and then the person who has the phobia kills themselves. So he doesn't actually lay a hand on them. So there's a, a unique twist there. Yes. So what I did is I had to look up every single phobia that I used. It might have been a phobia on flying, needles, clowns, birds, spiders, bugs, fear of pain, etc. And I would then, when I found out more about the phobia, I would then go into forums and talk to people who had actually suffered for them. And then once I got talking to them and they told me how they reacted, I started to write. Wait, yeah. would you tell them that you were working on a book or would you just be like, I'm, I have a phobia, what do you guys do? Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, um, what do you do if you have a phobia? And then, yeah, they're a bit more inclined to speak to you that way. Right. That's a absolutely, I gotta go with your husband on this one. That's like a batshit crazy idea for a book. I'm not saying yeah. that. Like, how did that even come into your head? Seriously, how did that even come into your head? Uh, go back to Hannibal okay. for a second. That's where the story came out. I wanted to have someone even more powerful and someone even more sick, but that actually didn't touch a finger on the patient, have the patient do all of the work for them. Let's talk horror movies since we're here. Give me your top three all time. Misery was one. Tell me why Misery. What about Misery did it for you? It had the suspense that I was looking for, a lot of suspense. Being trapped in this room with this sicko woman who's going to bash your knees. It was just centered on the two characters and I found that really, really good. Um, I also liked the quiet one that had just been out. I thought it was incredibly amazing how you could actually enjoy a movie in silence, pretty much, that these people, this family, had to endure very suspenseful. They had to be quiet. If they didn't, these creatures were going to come and devour them. And it was like, ooh, that was really good. I didn't know anything yeah. about that movie. And I went by myself. And I was sitting there, I swear to God, 15 minutes into the movie, I'm like, I don't know if I can take this. Like, <laughs> I didn't really, I was not anticipating being this stressed for two hours. But it was a brilliant <laughs> movie. It was so well done. Yeah, it really was. And then Hush. Oh, it's brilliant. It's it's absolutely amazing. What makes bad horror writing? When it's bad, mm -hmm. why is it bad? They might focus too much on the killing and not enough on the character building. Mm -hmm. That can make a book absolutely ridiculously stupid. Why is that? Yeah. Why do you mean? Well, you need characters. If there's no good characters, the book becomes boring. And if we're talking indie books here, Mm, editing. If it's not edited, forget it. It's just hopeless. So I, I don't even know. Do you self-publish? Do you have a publisher? Like, how does this work for you? I do. I am self-published. How does that happen? How does that go about? What's the process? The process is KDP, and you just upload your eBooks to that, and they go straight to Amazon. So you don't need an actual publisher. Do you print hard copies or no? Yep, and well, the paperback. Yeah. So yeah, print on demand. What did it mean to you? to have your, 2016, to have your first book in your hand. It was like a Christmas gift. It was wonderful. It was. Um, yeah. 
yeah it was like seeing snow for the first time and dancing for the first time it was just a mix of emotions it was quite good I really enjoyed it yeah was it a dream of yours when you were younger or did you not even think of being a writer um, when I was a kid I actually wanted to be an actress but it turned out that I more wanted to be a writer so how do you as a as a someone self-publishing like how do you go about um you have a very strong twitter presence but how how do you go about building an audience um what's what what do you do to get readers a lot of promotions (laughs) like what um okay so you all the social media everything you can think of there's a ton of it out there there's also places like that promote your book for you but they do cost money Mm -hmm. So, and that's something that I'm still investigating in because I haven't found that right, the perfect one. You know, getting your book out there into the right audience is pretty difficult when you don't have a publisher backing you. It is tough. You need to find an agent, you know, if you want to go down that road and or just go straight into finding a publisher. How old are your kids? I've got uh, the twins, the youngest, they are 15, soon to be 16. Okay. And then I have a middle son who is 18, and then my oldest is 32. So I'm fascinated. You do this really weird thing for, you do this really unusual form of writing for a living. Yeah. Where you write about <laughs> de- decapitated heads and digging out breasts and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> my 15, year I have a 15 year old daughter, and she's embarrassed if I, you know, yell out her name when I drop her off at the school bus. <laughs> how, how, do your kid, how do your kids sort of describe what they what you do and how do they sort of feel about it? They don't know the details um, of, because they're young, except for the oldest, of course, and the 18-year-old, he knows, but the girls, <laughs> no, they, they're not going to read my stuff, not until they're older. Wait, they don't even know that you write these books? Oh, yeah, no, they do. They've seen them, but they don't, they're not allowed to touch them. Right. Yeah, I don't want them to be scared. They already get scared enough as it is. That's really funny. That's really funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm reading here. Wait. Jesus, yeah. your suit, it's washed with blood. Oh my God, Darren, what happened back there? This is the story I read in full life. I found really interesting. Imagine a fetus, then imagine as a fully grown adult man. Now picture that with a bunch of torn skin and as gray and white as an elderly person's hair. Something that has teeth the size of a bear's and nine inch long talons. Then you have pictured what I saw. It was fast and strong too, but it seemed to be brainless. That does seem like something maybe your 15 year olds don't need to read, I guess, or don't need to yeah. think about. <laughs> no. Um, do you ever scare yourself when you write? No, no. You don't? No, I like to challenge myself and to try and write something even scarier, but no, definitely haven't frightened myself, not at all. And do you, um, do you go to different, like, I don't know, are there horror book conferences or horror writer groups or? No, I wish there was, there's not. I might have to start making one and do it myself. So you don't know any other horror writers? Just what I know from online, but not in in real life sort of thing, no. Yeah, I feel like we could uh, we could start that up. What are the monsters that we ne- we never need to read about again? What I mean is like, what's not scary? Like what do, what what has this been done way too much and we just don't give a shit anymore in your genre? <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Shucks. I just showed my son. I just showed my son Jaws for the first time. It's a pretty good movie. I know. It, of course it is. It is a good movie, but it. I think, I don't know, sharks, shark movies in general, they just keep popping up all the time. I think it's so overdone. Right. What else? Yeah. Anything else we don't need? Um, zombies? Yeah, well, I like my zombies. But you do? Because <laughs> it 
I kind of always put a twist on them. Like you'll notice since you've got the anthology, mm-hmm. you'll see that this, without sounding. <laughs> a lot of zombies. Uh, yeah, but they're all different. So what do you think it is about zombies? I, I guess because they're a two-legged monster that can rip your face off and devour you in, in an instant yeah. and spread disease that's going to just cause an apocalypse. So that doesn't sound so good. Wait, I had a final question for you. I was curious about. Sure. So you write a lot about death. You grew up loving horror, horror movies, horror books, blah, blah, blah. I'm always fascinated in this. Like, how do you feel about your own mortality? Like, does death bother you at all? Are you, I don't know, does an eternal black nothingness sort of consume your thoughts in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> considering you write about it a lot? Um, putting this horror side of it, aside mm-hmm. um, I do worry about death as I've gotten older uh, you know with the fact that you're getting older so you're getting closer to you know dying <laughs> eventually right and um, so that's as far as it goes it doesn't turn into anything you know macabre or anything like that I don't really think like that I well, Ellie, I uh, I appreciate your time a whole lot this is this is definitely the most unique episode of this podcast thus far I want to thank today's guest, Ellie Douglas, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. You can follow Ellie on Twitter at Author Ellie and visit her website at AuthorEllie.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. My new book, Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL, is available everywhere. One can listen to Two Writers Sling and Yang on Apple Music and Google Play, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the insanely gifted MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.